You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me are Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. So glad you are here today so that you can help keep me awake so that we can talk about our topic today, which is sleep. (laughs) This is, or lack thereof, uh, in some of our cases. The idea behind this, I think, uh, was triggered by the idea that this weekend we shall have the opportunity to spring forward and uh, change our clocks in uh, celebration of uh, the time change, although there are a number of states that don't require this, such as Arizona. But um, we are always um, alerted to that. Some of us respond better than others, and some of us remember better than others. But because of that, we thought we would talk about sleep and talk about sleep as it relates to daylight saving time, but also talk about sleep as it relates to recovery. So I was asking um, the group here before we got started... Why do we have it? And uh, no one can seem to quite remember. <laughs> you do? Oh, well, share. It was because of the gas shortage, and uh, they felt like if, um, if they changed the times that they would save gas some way or the other. Never quite figured that out, but that was one of those, <laughs> that's what started it. And uh, daylight savings time, and uh, that was it. So I have to confess, I actually love daylight savings time. (laughs) When we set our clocks back in the fall and we lose that hour, I mark my calendar in the spring for when I get to regain that that time. No, you got it just backwards. (laughs) We we fall behind in the fall and we spring ahead in the spring. Yeah, so you lose an hour in the spring and you gain an hour in the fall. Right, right. And when that happens, I mark it on my calendar so we can celebrate this this coming weekend when we get that daylight back. So so even though you're losing an hour of sleep, you're still happy that it is lighter in the morning. And one of the things we read when we were preparing for the show is that there are less accidents after the clock has been set. The day of the change or the Monday of the change, they go way up. But after that, people do better with a little bit more daylight. And I think that that is um, an interesting um, interesting phenomenon. And one of the things that uh, to talk about... Most of us have had the opportunity to change time zones, either because of work or because of pleasure, travels, vacations, or even just moving to a different time zone. The rule of thumb around your body accommodating the change is that you need at least one day for every hour that you change. So if you go from the East Coast to the West Coast, that's three Hours and that should take you three days to accommodate uh, when you get back home or when you get there, depending on which direction you are going. So it is um, does require some 
accommodation on the part of us emotionally. <laughs> Some are more happy than others. My husband hates it, for example. Uh, he likes it <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to dark. be dark. He prefers the winter. Um, there's lots of reasons for that, and we'll just leave it at that. But uh, he he does not celebrate as you do, David, when uh, we have the uh, springing forward. That does change our circadian rhythm to some degree, and it will have some effect on our, um, on our sleep-wake cycle. It will have some effect on our mood and on our thinking and cognitive processing. And that change does last for a day or two for most of us to get over that feeling of, gee, I am really losing it. If you are a regular seven to eight hour sleeper every night and you have pretty good sleep structure and sleep hygiene, you're probably going to be much less affected by having the change in the time. If you are sleeping six hours or less a night, or if your sleep is quite interrupted and you don't have good what we call sleep architecture or the going through the different stages of sleep throughout the night, then you're going to feel the effects even more acutely and you may have more problems. So for those folks in particular, they're going to want to pay attention to some of the suggestions that we have, not just for recovery from (laughs) daylight saving time, but also the um, effects of uh, early recovery and the recovery from addiction and the effects that uh, drug use can have on, on sleep. So one of the things that you can do to reset your internal clock, it has to do with light. Um, And I think that that part of what people are always surprised to to hear is that your ceridian circadian circadian mm-hmm. that's the word i actually think think we need the definition of where <laughs> that comes from but your circadian rhythm sets itself in the morning and so going outside and getting some salt sunlight on your forehead and al- allowing yourself to really get in a, in a habit of starting your day like that sets sets it it mm-hmm. gets it moving and working in a um orderly fashion and that's one of the things to do especially if you are traveling and you need to adapt relatively quickly to your new time zone getting out in the morning in the sun sitting by the window or driving in your car does not do it that is not enough you actually have to get outside and it is recommended that you don't use sunglasses because the light actually has to hit on the retina to have the effect on the pineal gland, which is uh, part of our circadian rhythm and part of our um, melatonin sleep-wake cycle. So it's getting the sun on your forehead and on the back of your eye on the retina that is going to help tell your body to be awake. So bright morning sunlight, if it's like Atlanta has been the last few weeks, uh, where we wake up in the morning and it's rainy and gray, then that's going to be a little bit harder. Sometimes people will use light boxes, which have full-spectrum light, or even light bulbs. 
Um, there are a couple of companies now that make a full spectrum light bulb that you can put in your lamps um, to help with this process if you live in a gray zone. Something that we actually do recommend for people who who struggle with seasonal affective disorder, Correct. where they're not getting enough sunlight during the, the winter months, and, and they need that extra dose of, of morning sunshine. Really very helpful. So getting out in the morning and getting that sunshine not filtered by glass or sunglasses. Now, that doesn't mean you look at the sun. We don't (laughs) want people burning out their retinas. But you do need to be out there without the glass of your windshield, the glass of your breakfast room window, or your sunglasses getting in the way. One of the things I actually encourage for the patients that I know that have pets, um, rather than just opening the door and letting the, (laughs) the dogs run outside, but actually go outside with them, um, and and while the dogs are greeting the sun and doing their morning businesses, to to actually allow some time for your for the sun to hit you in the in the face. So that can help you adjust in the morning. Conversely, we need to do just the opposite at night, and part of that has to do with decreasing the light, because our bodies are really meant. And the circadian rhythm has to do with light and darkness. We are meant to have our bodies start to cool down, shut down in the evening so that we can sleep. And it is really important for all of us to be aware of how bright the lights are in our home, how much screen time we have, how close we are holding our tablets or our phones to our eyes and are we taking these things to bed Um, are these um, artificial light sources affecting our our retinas and telling our brain we're still awake this i'm not ready for sleep my brain needs to be awake there's still bright light coming um, and and this is really different now that we're using these screens that are, are doing a blue light because the blue light has more of that impact, more of that right. message on, on the brain. Um, so if there are reasons that you need to be on your screens, having it set towards the night setting so it doesn't have so much of that um, can help with the process. Exactly. And turning the... Um Turning the volume down, (laughs) uh, the brightness down on the actual light can be very helpful as well to make sure that you are um, not exposing your retina to too much light will help you with sleep. Um, Just going back to the um, daylight savings time time versus daylight savings time. I knew there was something about Indiana that was kind of strange. Uh-huh. And Indiana has some counties in the upper northern part of the state, east, but on the, on the west side, mm-hmm. and the lower part of the state on the west side that are central time zones. And the other in between is eastern. So you have counties in the north and counties in the south that are central, and the rest of the state state is in the um, eastern time zone. So they're often doing business. They're traveling between two time zones on a daily basis. (laughs) Yes. Even though they may just be going uh, in the same state but just down the street. 
Yes. Literally. Literally. Very, very confusing. I have family that live in Arizona, and I can never remember whether they do or don't, which time zone, whether they're two hours um, ahead of me or three hours. I can never, never quite remember which time I should be calling and which time is now not the right time. So in Georgia, we have a number of clients that do business just inside Alabama. And uh-huh. so on weekends, they'll run to Alabama, or during the week, they'll have to run over to Alabama, and they switch into central time zone, and then they have to switch back to get to their appointments on time. Um, and when they're in early recovery, and their brain isn't really getting the adequate amount of sleep anyway, because part of the whole concept of the show is that recovery, addiction and recovery both mess up your sleep cycle. Correct. These these people in particular struggle with um, staying aligned with their clocks. Right, right, and uh, and it makes it very difficult uh, when they have to be awake and alert in the morning for work or for their family uh, responsibilities or to be in group or in a therapy session. It's much more difficult for them, and they may have more trouble going to sleep than at night. So this is... Um, a problem that we're all going to face this weekend to some degree or another, but working on our sleep hygiene, working on our light um, and darkness uh, ratios, and also working on our body temperature. We have a lot of our folks that work out in the evenings because that's the only time they can work that into their schedule. So they may leave work, and on the way home, they'll stop at the gym, they'll work out. Now, one of the things that we know in a normal sleep-wake cycle is that as you get close to bedtime, your body temperature should drop, and that allows your body to have the message, it's time for sleep. And this can create some difficulty if you're exercising too late at night. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take talk more about recovery and sleep. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and what is the best place to go for the care that is needed. We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, 
You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and Michael Daly and myself are discussing sleep. And initially, we were talking about sleep related to the upcoming daylight saving time where we get to spring ourselves forward on Saturday evening or early Sunday morning. And um, we are... Right before we uh, took the break, we were talking about the importance of good sleep hygiene. And as you said, David, this is a term that gets thrown around a lot, but I'm not sure that everybody really knows what that means or thinks beyond, yeah, I should have good sleep hygiene if only I knew what that meant. Yeah, I think most people, when they hear that, that's one of those phrases that people hear and their brain just clicks, yeah, 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 and they don't know what that means, um, and they don't actually find anybody who actually gives them the answer to what mm-hmm. that means. So spending some time on, on what is good sleep hygiene um, can be beneficial. Yes. I, I start out with it with all of my patients and talking about Part of good sleep hygiene is having a very set schedule. Yes. Go to bed at the same time every day, even on weekends, and wake up at the same time. And I I stress, actually, regardless of what time you end up going to bed, wake up at the same time. Get out of bed. Go out and and get some sunshine. And start your day. And start your day. So the, the first big tip I really stress is you've got to get on a regular routine for going to sleep and waking up. And that is... One of the most important things, and I think because so many of our people in recovery have very difficult times with sleep, that we really have to focus in early on in their in their recovery and their treatment with we got to get sleep right and getting some of these principles of sleep hygiene really important. So set bedtime. That is really important. Uh, I think the other thing we talked a little bit about is the light and darkness. So start turning your lights down, having fewer lights on, uh, reducing the amount of time with your screen. And in fact, many people really talk about the bedroom is for sleeping or intimate activity. And it's not for TV, it's not for Facebook, it's not for your Twitter feed, it's not for Netflix. It is for sleeping and intimacy. And that uh, screens and other electronic devices with artificial light should be 
used very minimally, if at all. In the bedroom. In the bedroom. So enjoy them while you're in the living room, while you're out and about, but then when it's coming into your bedroom to go to sleep, it's time to actually allow yourself to go to sleep, ideally. Ideally. And it's it's really difficult when you have your phone sitting on the bedside table and then you get a text when you're about to go to sleep and then you read the text and then you think, oh, I should check my email and then you check your email and and pretty soon you're off on that little bunny trail right. and, and have, you know... Um, and when when you read that text, your brain clicks from go to sleep mode to, oh, I have to ha- respond. And it goes into the wake-up mode. Melatonin gets shut down. And, and um, um, the other side of that melatonin cortisol. cycle, cortisol starts to come back up. And tell you that you're awake. I know with some of the reading apps where you can read a book or read periodicals on your on your tablet or your phone, some of them have a setting Mm -hmm. where rather than it be a white background with black letters, they have a black background with either um, white or kind of a cream colored, and it's called sepia usually. Uh, I wish they would do that for emails um, or for your text, that you have that option, because if you are in a situation where you do have to respond, and some of us are on call, and some of us have other uh, responsibilities that might mean we might get interrupted, if we had that, that reduces the amount of light Mm -hmm. that your eyes are exposed to. Also, just looking around your bedroom, there's the dials on the TVs, there's the dial on the radio, um, there's uh, the night lights, there's all kinds of lights that I've noticed in my bedroom and in my bathroom that seem to really catch your eye. As many of those as you can block or turn away, um, really going to help you. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you taught me, David... Um, a couple of years ago was if you have to get up in the bat to go to the bathroom, certainly use a nightlight. Don't turn the light on and open only one eye. Most of us are good enough at negotiating our own bedrooms, bathrooms, that it, we can use just one eye, and we're cutting down the light exposure to our eyes by 50%. Mm-hmm. That's huge. So, Use whichever is your good eye for walking around. Um, you close the other eye and minimize any kind of light. Um, we have a nice little gadget on our toilet, not to get too Graphic. intimate, but it's a little light that as you approach the bathroom, it turns on a very subtle light so that you can see the toilet so you're not missing uh, (laughs) your aim Um, and um, that's a nice feature too because it's not too bright and it's not something that you have to look at but it does help make sure that people don't fall or have uh, some kind of bad accident Uh, so so those kinds of things can really make a difference so I definitely can take credit for the nightlight because I have have nightlights in several rooms around the house I'm not so sure I remember the story about closing an eye (laughs) but Well, it's possible. I'm pretty sure it was you that told me close one, only close one eye. Only open one eye. <laughs> only open one eye. Or only close one eye. It could be that when my eyes were adjusting to getting older, only one eye would open. <laughs> and <laughs> I just had to deal so. with that. Part of what I do also with my with my 
telephone because I do have to have it, but I have it set on Do Not Disturb mm-hmm. from um, 10 o'clock until 7.30 the next morning. And there are four or five people on my um, favorites list that are marked to be able, if they call, it will ring, ring through and it will wake me up. But other than that... I don't allow calls to come in from notifications and junk mail and all those things right. that want to catch you first thing and try to um, try to grab your attention. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy thing on most phones nowadays to set. It's just set it to do not disturb. Um, another thing that I think can be really helpful is temperature. Um, our bodies naturally should, as we have a normal sleep-wake cycle, cortisol which wakes us up in the morning and helps us accommodate stressors through the day. As we get closer to evening, cortisol levels drop to almost undetectable range. When that happens, our blood pressure, our heart rate, and our body temperature naturally drop so that we are ready to go to bed. That's why at night, even though you're wearing the same clothes you've had on all day and the house is the same temperature, you may feel like you need your furry blanket and your fuzzy slippers because you actually feel cold. Your body has reduced the temperature. So back to our example of somebody who has to work out late at night, um, because that's the only time they can fit it in. Cooling their body down is really important. They may need to take a tepid shower to help reduce their body temperature so that they'll be able to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that's a a real important thing um, that you can do. You can also, if you have trouble uh, going to sleep, another thing that you can do to kind of fool your body's temperature system is artificially raise your body temperature at around five or six o'clock at night so if any of you've been parents you probably are aware that your child who is sick is just absolutely going to have the highest temperature of the day around five six seven o'clock at night when you're trying to cook supper that's what always comes to my mind And that's because we tend to have a higher body temperature then. So sometimes taking a real warm bath or shower at that time and then letting your body cool down so that about six um, hours later your body is cool and you are able to artificially help yourself get to sleep. Also, just turning down the temperature in your your bedroom is, um, is something that can be really helpful. So it's not helpful for somebody to take a nice hot bath right before they think they're going to go to bed and go to sleep. That's a really bad idea. Unfortunately, it seems nice and romantic, and I know it's comfortable. <laughs> However, uh, it is probably not going to give you your best sleep. So take a tepid shower if you're going to take a shower. Not freezing cold. You don't have to do that. But um, but that can be really helpful. Um, the other thing is how you breathe. And for, there are many ways in which people sleep more comfortably because of injuries or the lumps they've got in their bed or whatever. But if you can sleep with your left side down, um, there's a number of really good reasons to do that, including you're less likely to have heartburn because of the shape of your stomach. So it, 
all the food and the liquids can go to that out pouch when you have your left, you're sleeping on your left side. Also, if you block that left nostril and just try and breathe in through your right nostril, you can probably hear me doing that. Um, breathing in through the right nostril actually has a calming effect on you and can help you go to sleep. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about sleep and addiction. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And today, Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and myself are talking about sleep. And sleep hygiene was our last segment. Now I'd like to shift it a little bit to talk more specifically about why some of our patients who have the disease of addiction or who have been actively using drugs and alcohol have some problems sleeping and um, ways in which we can begin to intervene around that. So there's a number of myths that I think a lot of people have, and one is that alcohol is going to help you sleep. Um, and it is true, actually, that alcohol will help you fall asleep. And, right. and um, I've always just thought because alcohol is a central nervous system depressant, right. that, that was the reason. In the in the readings we did for today, I, I've learned there was some more reasons for it. Correct. Um, and, and one of them is that alcohol actually impacts your... Your now I'm blank on this, and so I'm going to throw it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, alcohol has some effect on your body temperature. temperature. There, yes, so what we, we were just talking about, exactly. body temperature. So that's a nice lead-in to this. It has an effect on body temperature. So um, when you're drinking alcohol, you do it does lower your body temperature. And so it does participate, not only because it is a central nervous system depressant, it does help you fall asleep, and it lowers your body temperature, which helps your body um, be ready to lower cortisol, and when cortisol drops, then melatonin, our sleep hormone, kicks in. But alcohol has a reasonably short half-life, and it begins to be metabolized. And as the levels drop, then it's actually going to increase your body temperature, and it feels, for a lot of people, like they're awake. And they will often 
report to us, and we often see that they are sweating. They wake up sweating. And their cortisol levels have been raised, and they will wake up, and they will have a lot more difficulty with their sleep. Um, Often, because alcohol is a diuretic, it causes you to lose more fluids than you took in. You're dehydrated, so you sometimes wake up and you're thirsty, but you also wake up because now you've got to go to the bathroom. Uh, because of the alcohol that you've taken on and because it's it's um, causing your body to lose more fluids. So you're disrupting your sleep in a number of ways when you use alcohol as a sleep me- mechanism. And a lot of people do. And mm-hmm. a lot of our patients have gotten into trouble actually with alcohol and or with sleeping medications because they were having sleep problems, and they found these uh, substances or medications helpful, at least initially, with sleep. Mm -hmm. So now we've got this problem with alcohol actually causing you to wake up early, um, have to get up and go to the bathroom, wake up sweating, and having trouble going back to sleep. And so for people who, whether they have the disease of addiction or not, if they're using alcohol as a sleep aid, they're going to begin having these symptoms because when the alcohol leaves their system, their body temperature is going to kind of rise. They are going to have the, the thirst and those kind of things. But if they've progressed into the disease of alcoholism, another dynamic mm-hmm. is that they're actually going into withdrawal. Yes. And so they're having night sweats and they're having um, anxiety rising and their cortisol and all of that is beginning to have an effect because they're actually experiencing withdrawal symptoms and they'll very often have to wake up and have some more alcohol in order to go back to sleep. Well, and, and while they're asleep, I, doesn't alcohol affect the, the quality of sleep that Absolutely. you're having? Like. You may not get the REM sleep. You um, you may get the light sleep, but the memory holding restorative, restorative sleep. sleep isn't really. It isn't really there, and that is a big problem. Uh, alcohol has a direct toxic effect on our memory center in our brain. It's called the hippocampus, which is Greek for seahorse, because if you dissect these two little organs out of your brain, they actually kind of do look like seahorses. Um, But alcohol has a direct effect on that, and it shuts down our hippocampus. And to your point, we're not having rapid eye movement sleep when you're using alcohol. So you, during rapid eye movement sleep, your body is very still, your eyes are moving really fast, and your brain is moving really fast. And it's during rapid eye movement sleep, which should happen every 60 to 90 minutes, that we take all the things we thought about in the day and all the things we learned and the librarians that sit in those little seahorses link all those thoughts and ideas and new information to other things they think are related. So that's why our dreams can be very unusual. But if you're not going into rapid eye movement sleep, if you're not having regular stupid silly dreams, then that is going to greatly impact your memory. And that is a significant problem. So we have the blackout issue that actually alcohol can shut down your memory center. While you're awake. While you're awake, walking around, talking, and 
doing things. Um, and then we have the, the other effect, which is it's disrupting the normal sleep uh, architecture and the sleep structure, and you're not going into rapid eye movement sleep, so you're not having good dreams, and you're not putting down memories. And um, neither of those are a very good outcome. Right. Especially for somebody that is in new recovery. Right. Um, you know, just out of sort of the detox phase or still within detox. And I think the other drug that very commonly disrupts sleep, although most people don't recognize, and that's nicotine. Yep. So for most people, nicotine lasts about 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half that your receptors in your brain are occupied and they feel semi-happy as the nicotine floats away and leaves those receptor sites. Now they're looking and now you start to have a craving. And um, it's very interesting because most people don't really associate this. But when I ask people, do you have trouble falling asleep? Do you have trouble staying asleep? Do you have trouble waking up too early in the morning? They'll often say, I can fall asleep just fine. Uh, but I wake up, and then sometimes you know, I'm awake after an hour or two, and I can't go back to sleep for a while. And I'll say, what do you do when you wake up? <laughs> and very often they'll say, I get up, smoke a cigarette, and then I can... I, I go back to sleep. Now, for most of us, we think, well, nicotine is a stimulant. So how is that stimulant putting you to sleep? Well, it's getting you out of nicotine withdrawal. And so people who smoke and smoke on a fairly regular basis will tell you they smoke their last cigarette right before they go to bed. And then they wake up frequently through the night. They go have a cigarette. They go back to sleep. And then the first thing they do in the morning is... A have a cigarette. You know, the other thing that, that I find really interesting, when you talk about the brain and the different chemicals, you talk about three substances that are going to do what your brain wants, mm-hmm. alcohol, heroin, and nicotine. And so if you're needing to get pumped up, nicotine will do that. Absolutely. And if you're needing to get chilled out, nicotine will do that, as will those other two. And, and so for the person who's in those addictions – they are having the experience that it's doing what they want. Right. Until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. Right. And then it stops working. Which it always will get to a point of Eventually. it doesn't. Right. But they are they are very interesting substances because they work on the two different centers of the brain, the one we talk about, um, the ventral tegmental area, which we usually associate with downers, things like benzodiazepines and barbiturates and... Um, other opioids besides heroin. Um, and then we talk about the, the nucleus accumbens, which is the stimulant, where people like cocaine and methamphetamine and Adderall and ecstasy and some of these drugs. Uh, but those, those um, three substances that you m- mentioned, plus marijuana, Mm-hmm. Uh, is our fourth substance. They work on both of those areas. So if you like uppers, you'll love them. If you like downers, you'll love them. Whatever you need them to be, they will be. They're the great chameleons of, of the uh, addiction world. Well, and a lot of times when we're talking about sleep, we talk about this where when we were in a, uh, a treatment center that was a inpatient uh-huh. It was always interesting when when our folks w- who were not smoking and they weren't 
on caffeine and they weren't on sugar, all those three, and they weren't on their they're, drugs. They're of, <laughs> the uh, drug that brought them to the dance. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, within a very short period of time, their sleep hygiene became very regulated, mm-hmm. and they got better quicker. Right. And we had to write very few um, medications for sleep. The amount of medication we had to use for them for detox was much less. The doctors who were providing uh, the medication management were able to adjust the detox meds. They could take less of that. They didn't need so many things to help them manage anxiety, and they needed even less to help them manage sleep. It was remarkable. At the same time, they... Um, didn't have any electronics in their rooms. Right. And their rooms were way up in Canada, so it was very cool <laughs> at night, and they were able to... Even in that, the summer. That, that cool <laughs> sleeping temperature, that perfectly cool sleeping between 60 and 70 degrees that, that you just sleep so nicely in. When we were talking about the alcohol and the marijuana and the other substances, part of what's so interesting with marijuana yes. is the impact it has on, on your... Um, deep level of sleep, your REM level of sleep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for people in early recovery, it has the opposite effect where they start having incredibly Very vivid, vivid. Um, dreams. Often it's using dreams and often it's the, the dreams related to using, but they can be really vivid anyway right. on whatever the subject because that part of the dream stage cycle is is finally becoming reactivated. Right. And one of the reasons that we see when people are actively using marijuana that their memories are so bad <laughs> is because they are marijuana itself affects the the REM or the rapid eye movement sleep, which is where we put down and store and log in all of our memories. So it directly affects REM sleep. It decreases it or eliminates it. And... Um, greatly affects their memory and then like you say when they're coming off of the marijuana when they're getting into recovery from marijuana their dreams are just intense and the colors are bright and they're very vivid Uh, and that is um, a reflection of the fact that they haven't really been going into REM sleep for a while and I think if I'm not mistaken that the marijuana uh, sleep problem usually dissipates after a long period of of, of um, being Recovery abstinence. Time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, unlike uh, other drugs that that once they kind of zap your 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 um, REM sleep, right? It can it can be something that is a lasting effect. Correct. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, some of the drugs I think you're talking about are the, the, like the cocaine and the crystal meth and the things that really burn out your dopamine and then they burn out your serotonin. And, and the serotonin is crucial for making melatonin in order to be able to go to sleep and stay asleep. Um, and many of those things just don't repair without a doctor's attention, right. um, without supplements and, and medical help. And and I think ecstasy is one of those substances that that a lot of people don't realize that that's um, even in that category. Correct. You know, there's there's people that think, oh, I just you know I'll take a, a few hits of ec- ecstasy throughout, not knowing that it's going to disrupt their 
But and for so often the thought was these drugs keep you way up and you stay up right. for a long time and then you crash and you sleep for a long time and then everything's fine. Catch you balance. Yeah. You just balance and then everything's fine and you go on. But in reality, it doesn't repair itself right. when this has been going on for a while. And ecstasy is particularly damaging. Um, we know that cocaine and methamphetamine and other stimulants um, like the ADD medications do affect your sleep because mm-hmm. you just don't go to sleep. They keep you um, awake. You're not sleeping. Ecstasy has an even more toxic effect, unfortunately, because it affects serotonin. And in our brain, serotonin breaks down to melatonin. And so if you aren't producing serotonin, you're not going to produce melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So your sleep is going to be messed up and maybe for a very long time, maybe even permanently. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about sleep and recovery. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and Michael Daly and myself uh, from the Atlanta Healing Center are talking about sleep and recovery. Right before our break, we were talking about some of the direct toxic effects that some of the uh, drug substances that uh, our patients might be using 
that it will impact their sleep directly because of the effects of the substance. We do also see that when people are in recovery, this can also have an effect on their sleep, and their sleep may not be normalized for a while. And, um, and it's really it's it's something that's really important to talk about in in recovery because there's a lot of people that their sleep is so disrupted and they feel that oh my gosh I've got to do something in order to get a good night's sleep right. I'm going to die if I don't you know and they either use or they start to use something that is then abused right um the olden days, people used to say, well, you're not going to sleep for how long was it, David? I mean, it was eight months. Just don't plan on sleeping for eight months. And my sponsor used to say, and nobody ever died of lack of sleep. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I think people I think died. people do die from lack of sleep. So it is something nowadays that we do address um, earlier on. Taking a really good sleep history is very important. Finding out exactly what is the problem. Uh, are they having trouble falling asleep? Because that's more often associated with anxiety. The racing thoughts, they can't calm down, too much caffeine, too much nicotine, too many stimulants. Um, waking up frequently through the night can be associated with depression. The sleep disorder associated with um, a depressive disorder is that every 60 to 90 minutes when you're supposed to be going into REM sleep, instead you wake up. And so that's um, that can be a problem. Finding out if they have a history of sleepwalking or sleep talking. Finding out if they snore. This is a big one. And we really probably are not paying nearly enough attention to the fact that even people who don't have a 17-inch neck can have sleep apnea. And that sometimes it's, um, it's important to really investigate some of the problems that may be associated with sleep. But very often, if a, a detox is managed well... Um, that will help a person sleep. And there are some non-addictive medications that we can use for sleep. So, And, and we used to work with this lady, um, Joni, that used to say, well, if you're having trouble sleeping, just pull the covers up, get out your big book, and within several minutes you'll be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very effective for a lot of people. It was. <laughs> um, that big book will put anyone to sleep. <laughs> The the sleep apnea, though, I think is is really a serious thing, and it people is. don't really know what that means. Also, it, they're actually not breathing, and so the brain has to wake up and remind the body to breathe. Correct. So they're actually waking up, and their brain is actually waking up throughout the night because they're forgetting to breathe. Forgetting to breathe. So there's two types. One is obstructive. And that's when we see when people have big, thick necks, big, heavy chests, often overweight, usually mouth breathers. And these kinds of um, things uh, can cause the body to just have a hard time breathing. There's also central sleep apnea, which has to do with the, um, the actual centers in your brain that... Um, that can um, uh, that are supposed to remind us to 
breathe. So when we see children with sudden infant death, the SIDS mm-hmm. problem, that part of their brain is just not developed. And so because of that, they stop breathing, and that's where we see the, the deaths. It, it's that, a breathing problem. So that's why you don't lay them on their back. Right. Because then the airwaves will close, is that? Can be, Yes. So there's a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because you've got a really thin trachea, um, a really small mouth opening or throat opening, or very large tonsils, adenoids. There's a number of things. So it's not something to be um, uh, dismissed because people are waking up multiple, sometimes hundreds of times in the night. And that is really disrupting their sleep causing all kinds of daytime fatigue and and problems, even dangerous driving because they are so sleepy. But the real, real risk, besides their partner will no longer sleep in the same room with them, is the idea that um, their heart may go into arrhythmias and people can die because of sleep apnea because the heart is not functioning properly. And um, it, it, it's very... Scary, so it needs to be paid attention to. So the, so when the breathing that, the part of the breathing, that uh, that sooner or later starts to affect the heart. Correct. Okay. So this is an issue that's not necessarily one that you just deal with with your sponsor, and definitely not right. just with your counselor, but actually with a physician or even a sleep um, specialist. Correct. And one of the things that we look at when we are looking at people's brain waves, mm-hmm. um, when we do a quantitative EEG, we're looking at the two brain wave categories, the delta sleep, which is deep, restful, regenerative sleep, one to four beats per second. Um, that's associated with normal restorative regenerative sleep. We look at theta waves, which are the five to nine beats per second. This is the transition, the just as you're falling asleep or just as you're waking up. So we can see dysfunction in either of these. So the person may have fine delta. Their delta mm-hmm. may be just fine, perfectly normal, but their theta is messed up. They can't fall asleep or if they fall asleep and then they get awakened they can't go back to sleep or vice versa they can fall asleep just fine but their delta is not right and so they're not going to have deep restful sleep and this is a really important thing that we look at when we are um, evaluating their their brain waves and looking at possible interventions so you're right david this is not something to be taken lightly we do make referrals um, fairly often for sleep studies and we want people to take it really seriously because sleep apnea really can kill you and that's um, not a good outcome right and and I was going to ask about, um, is there a correlation between so many people that think that they have ADD, ADHD, and that that difference in the sleep waves that while they're awake, they're experiencing too much delta? Right. Or too much theta. And so instead of I'm just distracted by puppies and shiny things and changes in my environment that I have to keep looking at and paying attention to, many of the folks that get diagnosed with sleep 
uh, with ADD actually have elevated theta waves that transition into sleep and so they're drifting off into daydream or even literally into sleep and then they come back they kind of wake themselves back up and they're lost in the conversation or in the paper that they're reading or in the test that they're taking so it looks kind of like ADD but it's not that they're distracted it's that their brain wave is drifting off into a sleep wave now can that can that be happening without them realizing it yes absolutely and that is one of the um, important things that we see on our brain maps and one of the ways in which neurofeedback and other interventions can help improve the quality of sleep and improve the wakefulness and the attention, the focus, and the memory of these folks. And it, it's amazing because um, just today I was I was at the front desk and, and one of our patients came up and said that um, the protocol that, that, that they were using in neurofeedback had gotten changed up to a sleep protocol and they were feeling so much better and Mm -hmm. and this person said that uh last evening they actually slept for like six hours and they were just floored so it's one of the things we take really seriously at the atlanta healing center uh we do really thorough sleep um, evaluations in terms of asking the patient about their sleep history, um, the drugs that they've used, what they do when they wake up, their sleep hygiene, um, their history of snoring, their family history of sleep apnea. We look at their brain map, and sometimes we can intervene with medications or changes to lifestyle. Sometimes we have to refer them to a sleep specialist. And, and one thing I want to say here is it's it's pretty funny when you talk to when you hear patients talking, and they have these forms that they fill out for group and, and their check in and individual and their check in and neurofeedback and and their check in. Almost every single solitary one of them has the question, "How is your sleep? How is your sleep?" So we will ask you all, how is your sleep? And wish you good sleep this weekend as you spring forward. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.